You're listening to Partnernomics Podcast, where we discuss the art and science of developing successful strategic partnerships. To learn more about the suite of Partnernomics solutions, visit Partnernomics.com. All right, so welcome back to another episode of Partnernomics Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Brigman. And on today's show, we have Mr. Paul Bird with us. So Paul is uh, with Magentrix. We'll have an opportunity to, to learn about Paul, his background, Magentrix, the, the work that they do. And uh, in the PRM space, and man, just such a such a critical part of the the whole partnering community and partnership success. But Paul, thanks for your time. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Mark. Really appreciate it. So, Paul, if you wouldn't mind, I know you could give your background better than I could, but uh, I'd love to just have you share what kind of just a, a quick overview of your career and how you landed in the in the seat that you're at today. So I, I'm probably. Uh, a 23 plus year Wiley veteran uh, started my IT career out in the in the mid 90s with a uh, a online software company that was doing application service providing or you know SaaS circa 1996 97 um, and over my career I've kind of worked on both sides um, when I got into uh, actually managing channel uh, was kind of at the at the start. Uh, where <clears throat> ended up kind of rebuilding a, a channel for a software company out of New Jersey and, uh, you know, really got to deal with the likes of CDW and Software Spectrum inside some of the, the larger uh, value-added resellers, as well as, as local, uh, you know, one, two-person uh, shops. And I really had an appreciation for what it was going to take for them to, uh, you know, for, to, for us to maintain wallet share and mind share with them uh, but really the needs of the channel. And after that, I kind of sat on the other side. I went to work in the channel, uh, was a uh, work for an IBM premier partner uh, here in the in the Toronto area, and really now was on the other side of the, the fence where I, I got to appreciate, hey, I'm the channel partner that's dealing with multiple vendors. So uh, really kind of an interesting path where kind of by my time has been equally split uh, both on uh, you know channel development, channel management, and marketing, and then actually working directly in the channel. And I can say that I've probably done everything from the data center to the desktop. Um, now, also early on in my career, I became kind of a, a Salesforce enthusiast. I installed it, uh, uh, configured it myself for a software company back in 2001, 2002. And it was interesting because when I joined Magentrix uh, a little, almost five years ago, um, it was kind of a, an interesting uh, combination of my entire uh, professional history and you know passion for for sales and and CRM uh, into a platform now that essentially uh, extends the CRM to help uh, channel organizations uh, you know automate and. Uh, optimize the relationship that they have with their uh, with their partner network. So, Paul, can you share with us? You know, for maybe some some folks might not be uh, channel partnership professionals or, or really work in lanes that commonly use or common or good well positioned for PRMs. Let's just kind of start this conversation from the ground floor and, and tell us what is a PRM. So a PRM is essentially uh, a tool, and it's one of several tools that uh, anyone that sells uh, through third parties or through external stakeholders uh, has at their disposal. 
Um, but it's an important part because what it allows is it allows for, um, for you know, external stakeholders or channel partners, uh, strategic partners to self-serve. Um, you know, we have this self-service expectation in life that as consumers, anyone that we do business with, uh, that we can go log into their site, be able to, you know, check our purchases and be able to, to see the, uh, the individual, uh, transactions that we've done or information specific to us. So we take that kind of same concept and we bring it to scale where you can have a, an environment where a partner has a, a place to go where they can see everything, get access to all of the resources they need, uh, in order to, uh, to conduct business for any particular vendor. Now on the other side, there's the vendor side. This now is an evolution when it comes to their channel program. It's taking things from email and spreadsheets, uh, things being done very manually, and now it's going to add a level of automation. And this can be everything throughout the entire partner life cycle from the first day that they're onboarded as they go through and get uh, familiar, maybe trained and certified, uh, to the, the tactical side where you're looking at kind of all of the activities within, uh, within a sale from the initial registration or distribution of an opportunity all the way through to closure and then even uh, pre and post sales support. But it, it really is there for, for the vendor now to optimize uh, the, a lot of the, the manual tasks that they would typically have to do in managing a partner network. So, Paul, how do PRMs interact with or, or interface with, say, a CRM, right? All of us are going to be familiar with, with CRMs. I guess, I mean, you, you, you definitely pointed out some of the differences with those, or you, you, you know, we could tell what the differences are with those, but I'd like for you to explicitly state what is the difference. I mean, some of our clients even, they're like, well, we, we have a CRM. We could probably do some more developments and add on a couple of modules to, to, to have that functionality. I guess I'd like to have you address that piece, but then kind of do this comparison contrast and how do CRMs, how are they similar? How are they different? How can they work together? <clears throat> so a CRM, right? Customer relationship management as it was uh, initially founded. And the idea behind a CRM is that you have all of your customer, partner, anyone that you do, do business with, all of that data is sitting within this CRM system. It has now become a system of record. So your single source of truth, one place to go, you'll hear people say that if it's not in the CRM, it never happened, it doesn't exist. Now a PRM is essentially a tool for being able to manage relationships with your partners. And part of that is data, and part of that is content, like training and sales and marketing collateral, things like that. So here's the, the, the challenge is that if you adopt a PRM that is a, a silo that is completely isolated from your CRM system, now you've got two separate records. You no longer have a single source of truth or, or a system of record. So the, when we look at PRMs, the expectation is that they will integrate and connect seamlessly to our, uh, our CRM or our, our you know, single source of truth. So that's really what it comes down to. That you're, you want to have one location where all of your customer and partner data is, and that's going to be your CRM system, your Salesforce, your Microsoft Dynamics, or whatever else you're using. Uh, a PRM is simply an extension of that. And this allows for 
you to have kind of a, a gateway for your partners to be able to go and interact with, you know, content and, uh, and data that you're sharing with them. But ultimately, this is all being passed back to that system of record to keep it up to date. So you have a single place to go to get the most accurate, up to date information. Paul, whenever you guys are working with clients and in, in answering questions with them, connecting with them, they've never used a PRM before. What are your thoughts? What are your recommendations on when a company will know that they're ready to, to utilize a PRM for the first time? Well, I think it comes to the, the maturity of the partner program and the bandwidth of the, the people that are managing and running that program. If you have a small program, five or six partners, uh, you have bandwidth during the day, and you really don't have any intention to scale, then you can probably keep doing things the way that you are. However, if, you're in a, if you ha- have intentions to grow your program, if you are you know, now 15, 20 partners, and you find that you, things are falling through the cracks, and you, know, you have to constantly providing updated collateral, no one has the most accurate information, uh, and you realize that I'm going to have to add a whole ton of people. You know, my headcount is going to have to grow significantly if I want to scale my program. Now you're ready to start looking to see if, if a PRM can benefit you. Because now what it's going to do is it's going to take all of the kind of administrative tasks, all of the tasks that are, uh, you know, repetitive, uh, that take away from growing the program and having that program flourish, and now we bring it into a system of automation, and that is the PRM that's going to make life a lot easier. And now you can grow at scale, leveraging the PRM technology. Paul, let's say that within our organization, we're wanting to bring on a PRM within the next few months. What's um, some pre-work, some groundwork that companies should do in order to be ready to go through the implementation process and start to use a PRM? Well, the, the first, if, if it was me and I'm looking at a PRM, the first thing I'm going to do is find one that integrates with the CRM system I'm using. And whether it's Salesforce or Dynamics or Pipedrive or one of the 300 CRM systems out there, we want to make sure that there is a, a platform that, can, that you can integrate with. So that's the first piece because you want to have that single source of truth. The second is, what are the needs for my program? Is this just a matter of I need a repository for all the sales and marketing collateral so that partners can go and get the most up-to-date information? Or are there more advanced features that I need? Do I need to be able to train partners, have them certified, put them through learning paths, make sure they recertify every day? Now you're getting into the more uh, broad and more complex PRMs that are available. But then it goes even further. Maybe you want to have rewards and incentives, or uh, you want to be able to integrate this with other backend systems that you have or payment processing systems that are available on the market in order to do things like, you know, storing credit card information and auto rebilling uh, uh, charges and things like that. Uh, Now, the set of available PRMs that are available uh, become a significantly smaller group that have the full end-to-end capabilities. What is what does an integration look like? I guess with either a, a typical, if you will, kind of a top tier PRM uh, like a, a Magentrix or what, or specifically with Magentrix. But what should 
these partnering professionals, what should these executives expect or what will they likely experience from, from an integration and an implementation perspective? So I can talk from a Magentrix perspective. I, I can't really talk broadly about the other PRMs on the market when it comes to, to integration level uh, and give you a, a completely honest answer. From a Magentrix perspective, uh, our integrations are with uh, Microsoft Dynamics, Salesforce, and HubSpot. The expectation that somebody has is that this should be a, a deep integration, be able to access everything that is uh, all data in that uh, environment, including anything that you've done custom or third parties that you've attached to it. And it needs to be easy. For example, our Salesforce integration is a sim single link. It takes about five minutes to connect Magentrix to your Salesforce environment. And then you can basically leverage all the time and effort that you've spent uh, configuring Salesforce to set up your PRM. So then there's the rest of the integrations. And you know there are a number of tools that make life easier. Uh, for example, we published an integration uh, earlier this year with Zapier. And the tagline that you're happier with Zapier is, is something that uh, uh, really does apply because there is a, a marketplace of 2,000 applications within the Zapier marketplace that Magentrix can now integrate with and, and need no code. You don't need a developer. Yet sometimes companies have built something uh, specific. They have you know, created their own application. They're using something that uh, uh, maybe is not available within the Zapier marketplace, uh, and they need another way to do it. And this is where Magentrix as a platform offers multiple options, everything from being able to do single sign-ons into that platform so they don't have to log in or have a second set of credentials, or being able to open up our API. We have a full development environment uh, where we can, from a programmatic perspective, connect to third-party platforms to deliver that experience uh, back to the, to the user. It really comes down to what are their expectations for the PRM, how advanced are their program, how advanced their program is, and what are the benefits of the automation that we can bring to make life easier and ultimately make the business more profitable. Paul, I want to ask you a question that, that I am frequently asked about uh, to, to see you know, what, what your responses or how this plays in, but um, it, it's, it seems it's my experience that every company that does channel sales, one of their biggest pain points is channel conflict, right? This channel mm. conflict thing. <laughs> and so, you know, we're constantly asked about, you know, different strategies of how to um, avoid or minimize. I don't think we'll ever eliminate completely, but how can a PRM help uh, you know, minimize channel conflict? So to be honest with you, Mark, I've seen it both, both sides. I've seen people that are so focused on channel partnerships because they want to uh, preserve the relationship and the trust factor. At the same time, I've seen people encourage channel conflict. Uh, but let's answer your question first, which is how do we prevent it? So again, this comes down to having a, a clean connection to your CRM system. So then when a partner is registering a new opportunity, they're automatically going to be linked to that opportunity inside of the CRM system. So partner two comes along and tries to register the opportunity. So we could do one of two things. We can actually reject the, op the, the registration and say, sorry, this has already been registered. Or alternatively, we can accept it 
and then at least notify the, the channel sales manager or account manager that we now have a second individual bidding on an opportunity. And this really comes down to the type of offering that you have. You know, for example, I know that uh, at least in, in the Toronto area where I am, uh, most large uh, agreements or, uh, or specifically government contracts, they have to go out for bid. You need a minimum of three people returning the bid. Well, we can't just appoint a channel partner and have them try to single source it because that falls against the way that things have to happen. So in this case, we need to be able to manage the conflict, at least by knowing which partners are involved in the deal. Now, some of the strategies that people put in place for, uh, for reducing channel conflict is if you're the first one in, you register the deal, I'm going to give you a level of protection on the pricing side of things uh, so that you can't be outbid. But then at the same time, there are vendors that want to be able to select the best partner for an opportunity. So this is where the flexibility of a PRM that says, what do you want us to do when we get a duplicate, you know, a second person coming into an opportunity? Do you want us to stop them at the door and say, sorry, partner number two, you can't uh, access this record? Do we give them a level of exclusivity? So they have exclusivity to this for 30, 60, 90 days, whatever the typical sales cycle is? Or do we say, we're going to accept that a second or a third partner or a fourth partner is also involved in this opportunity. And now we're going to make the channel account manager or sales manager aware that there are now multiple people bidding on the same, uh, same deal uh, so they can action it accordingly. So Paul, I'd like to kind of jump up and go more of the, st the strategic level and go kind of high, right? So within our organization, we have the strategy uh, around channel and we want to you know to successfully execute this how can prms really be positioned to help execute that strategy well well mark i have to commend you because the most important piece of the puzzle is a great channel strategy uh you know having that in place and you know being ready and knowing how you want to approach channel that is probably the biggest key to success with a PRM or without a PRM. So how do we have that, take that high level strategy and now turn it into tactical execution? So really you need to look at your strategy and say, all right, what if this uh, revolves around content? So from a content perspective, which you know we've all heard the, the term content is king, we wanna make sure that we've got great content in order to have that strategy deliver. And then we also want to say, all right, how can we enrich the user experience for the partner so they can be served that direct content at the time they're going to need it the most? So this is where we can start looking at the strategy, apply it to the PRM and say, let's make it as easy as possible for the partner to do business with us. Let's make sure that they are getting a white glove treatment, that they feel like a, a VIP and not simply an extension of the sale team. Uh, so we can take that strategy and add elements into the portal to encourage behavior, bring them the information when they need it, and overall just maintain that mind share and the all-important wallet share that you need with your channel partners. 
Well, I'd love for you to share, and I know you've seen a lot of clients, uh, you know, implement various solutions, obviously some wildly successful, uh, some probably didn't go so well. I'd like for you to just to talk to us a little bit about what are the commonalities of times when it didn't go so well? What are, what are some reasons, I guess, or what are kind of some of those common pieces or maybe some things that fell apart on the execution side? Maybe the strategy, not having a strategy, uh, but what are some things that kind of fell apart that, that really led to the demise of, of, of a, you know, not really being able to effectively put a PRM in place? Well, I think the, the number one reason why I see, um, you know, these types of initiatives fail is that if there's a, an attitude that, you know, build it and they'll come you know, hey, I've got a PRM system, you can now go log in and register deals and get, you know, access to content that they're going to show up. Now, this is a community and you need to be able to engage and enrich that community in order to get the most of it. So I think the first one is that it is the savior. It just put up the, the PRM and now all my troubles are, are over, which is not the case. Second is content. And, you know, I mentioned this before, and I know I keep coming back to it, but you have to have current relevant content, having content in the portal that is a year old or two years old, or is no longer uh, useful for the portal user partner comes back to your PRM and there's nothing new, then that is also part of the recipe for, for failure. And I think third to realize that, you know, the PRM while it is benefiting the business, it's really there for the partner. So putting that kind of partner first attitude into the PRM uh, is really something that uh, contributes to the success. But if the attitude from a partner's perspective, once they've logged in, is this is complicated, they're asking for too much information, I have to jump through hoops, I can't find things, then again, that's essentially a recipe for failure when it comes to a PRM system. Paul, I'd like for you to tell us a little bit about some different success characteristics that you see with the most successful partnership programs and kind of what I'm thinking about specifically that a lot of our clients will do is they implement like a certification program um, within their channel strategy and their partners are only able to sell different solutions if they are certified, if they really understand that solution. I'd like to, to get your, your feedback on that strategy, but then also are there, are there some other ways or approaches that, that, that companies take that you see as, as a success practice? Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you. I mean, training, certification, uh, you know, having people re-up training in order to you know, get to different discount levels, higher discount levels, opening access to certain products or services, uh, we have seen that constantly being uh, a, a major success factor for the most uh, successful PRM programs. But we also need to look at, let's drive the behavior we want. First, coming back to the partner and realizing that, you know, a channel partner's likely going to have multiple vendors in their portfolio. So how do we get their attention? And we can do that by driving notifications on, on new things inside the portal. Uh, being, by being able to put in a, an incentive program that's going to identify the behaviors we're looking for in order to get the, the partners engaged 
and even having them redeem, uh, you know, points for gift cards or things like that. I was recently working with uh, an HR firm, a software company uh, that is obviously channel focused. They put in an incentive program for everything from uh, deal registrations to qualified deal registrations, as well as uh, incentives for course completion, deal closure, engaging with content. And the feedback after running, running Magentrix for one year was they saw more than a 200% increase in the amount of business coming in. This in a year where we have seen uh, the economy take, uh, take a hit because of, of the pandemic. So, you know, looking at that type of environment where they identified the behaviors they were looking for, notified the partners outside of the portal, uh, made it easy and clear for them, and they could get a Starbucks or an Amazon gift card for their effort. Uh, it was amazing to see uh, just the results they get uh, just with that kind of competitive um, you know, challenge that's being put back to, to the channel partners. Paul, I'd like to dig into that some more. You know, yeah. within our framework, we, we talk about metrics and metrics kind of being the data piece and the dashboards and those things. I want to ask you a couple of different questions from some, from some different angles. One is, so from an executive's perspective, and they have just made the investment for this new PRM, what kind of advice would you give him or her as to how they should kind of score or manage or kind of build dashboards for their, their direct sales team as opposed to a channel partnering team? Should those metrics be different? How are those metrics different? Their, their activities, what, what should we track? And, and how is specifically the partnering side different? And what are those metrics? Sure. I, I think the direct sales metrics are a lot uh, easier to put together. I think that there are additional sales metrics that we need for, for a channel program. You know, from a, a sales perspective, uh, for, from a direct sales perspective, we know all of the conversion points we need to, to maintain and monitor and measure in order for things to be successful, right? The audience, the conversion from the audience to customer rate, the average dollar per sale, which gives us our gross profit. You know, there's four or five ways that you can influence uh, that revenue cycle. From a partner's perspective, we had some at added elements, uh, things like partner recruitment, you know, how many new partners are we bringing into the program? And is that, is that a, an important metric for, for an executive looking at a channel program? You know, some, uh, some strategies when it comes to channel program is I don't want everyone to sell my product. I want high quality specific individuals. So they will set a, a threshold on, on account coverage and now, you know, new partner acquisition. So that recruitment side is now a metric that needs to be tracked. Then we have to look at onboarding. So when a partner comes into the portal, what's the time from the first day that they have signed their partner agreement until they're completely trained? Is that a process that you isolate so they don't get access to the full PRM until they completed their initial set of training? So identifying these metrics are really key. Then there's the tactical metrics. You know, what is it, how many oppor new opportunities are we being seeing registered by partners? And what does that represent versus the size of my partner community? You know, one of the challenges and one of the things I hear all the time is that, you know, 
80% of my partner business comes only from 20% of my channel. And we need to identify who the partners are that are high performers, which ones are low performers, and either make sure that we engage the low performers to bring them up to the middle or clean out the closet and, uh, and get in some, uh, some, some fresh people in order to grow. And then as we go through looking at, you know, the average sales cycle between new partner registration and partner closure, these are additional metrics now that they're going to want to be able to track. So uh, the long answer to your question is, I think the direct sales metrics are very easy for you to be able to establish. You know, there's four or five different key points you need to see from a channel perspective. I think we have to look at the onboarding of new partners, the uh, efficiency of those partners through the cycle, the way that they consume and interact with content. And then ultimately, if you have underperforming partners, the offboarding process, uh, so you can make sure that you've got a, a, a vibrant uh, community. So Paul, it's the, the age-old question, quality versus quantity. Absolutely. Right? And so, uh, I, mean, I think you, you answered it very well, but I'd like to see, if, is there any more insights that you can provide when it comes to recruiting? You know, what, what are maybe some different parameters or uh, just some different ways that we can get as efficient as possible, as good as possible, on the front end, recruiting partners, what's some, pro, you know, some, some success practices that you've seen so that we have the highest probability of just grabbing that 20% that's going to bring 80% of our revenue? Any success practices you can share? Well, I, I think that we can take a, a page out of the you know, direct sales and, and marketing book where you know, we have to have an ideal partner profile. We have to understand the traits of that uh, in order to identify you know, what, what people are going to survive best in our, our ecosystem. Um, and from that point, now we can take those key elements. Maybe it is geography, size, number of years in business, specialty, uh, and now bring that to, you know, the search begins. So now we are doing essentially demand generation to recruit new partners. And what's wonderful is there's a number of uh, new technologies that have been available over the last year or two that have emerged uh, that allow us to do this. Uh, there are now automation tools that allow you to connect your LinkedIn profile um, and be able to give you a source of people that match your criteria, either by, uh, you know, location, company size, you know, the amount of time they've been in business, things like that. So you can now automate the prospecting process where you're connecting with them on LinkedIn and sending them a series of uh, messages on LinkedIn, very much like we used to do or still do with uh, drip email sync, uh, sequences. Unfortunately, email, there's so much noise that bringing this to a professional environment like LinkedIn allows us to connect with those people in, in a better fashion. So I think that leveraging emerging technologies that allow us to connect with a well-defined group of people in new and, and creative ways, uh, that is one of the best ways to get your, your program kickstarted because you can do it not only targeted, but at scale. Paul, I'd love to get your insights on this. So, you know, a lot of clients and folks that, that we work with are conversations that I have, especially as they're launching new programs. It's about throwing a big net 
and putting as many hooks, you know, in the, in the waters as possible shots on goal, right? There's so many of these ways that we can say this. Um, number one, you know, like to get the agreement that um, there's, there's an element of less is more and really being strategic about what you do. But really what I want to dig into is, do you subscribe to the thought of in the approach and do you see it as a, a success practice that the partnerships that we put in place, we're going to go through this process to, to put a referral agreement in place. There has to be some sort of a, a minimum commitment, a minimum performance level in order for them to remain a partner. How do, Absolutely. How do we manage that? How do we address that? How should we construct our partnering program from that perspective? Well, you want to make sure that the partner's got some skin in the game, right? Just being able to have every company representing your product, uh, you've flooded the market, but you've also spent a tremendous amount of resources, you know, training and enabling and engaging partners uh, that are, are never going to, to be uh, profitable. So, you know, establishing things like at the, at the onset of the partnership, you know, what does it take to remain a partner? Uh, in referral partner programs, like you briefly mentioned, you know, this is net new business. Uh, what is it? Is it measured monthly? Is it measured quarterly or annually in order for you to continue to get the, the percentage that's being shared with you? Um, if it is more of a, a longer term sales cycle, something we want to establish at the beginning, I think establishing minimum level of certifications for you to uh, access the environment to sell the product minimum level of certifications for discount level. But then going beyond that and maintaining and flourishing these partners long-term, again, idea of quarterly business reviews, being able to understand the business, look at what was achieved in the past, and then strategically what you can do together in the future. And when you're engaged with partners, and those partners know that you're focused on growing their business, and in return, they're going to be focused on helping you grow yours. I think that is the sweet spot of where you need to be um, in order to, to have a successful program and continuously engage. I mean, that customer and, and uh, partner engagement throughout the sales cycle is key, not only setting the expectations at the start, but all the way through the relationship, not just every you know three months will show up and we'll look what you did last quarter and maybe give you some, you know, development funds or things like that. We've got to be with them every single day because we're a team, right? Even though we're treating them like VIPs because they are the most important part of our, our process, uh, we want to make sure that it is an ongoing conversation, not just one or two touch points a year. Love that. So many times these partnership programs and partners in general, they're just at best reactively managed, but you, you, you really need to have a true program, a disciplined program, and you have to proactively manage the partners and manage success. That is how Absolutely. you, that's how you will get accomplishments and achievements out of that. Um, one last question for you, Paul, before we let you go, if a, an executive is thinking about launching a, a partnering strategy, how long should he or she, it, give or expect to put this program in place, stand it up and achieve some resemblance of an ROI that they're getting from their direct sales approach. Uh, let's say it's a, it's a SaaS company, it's a software company. 
what is kind of the the minimum or kind of minimum maximum time that they should expect to give in order to get some results? Well, I, I think it varies by by the organization. You know, somebody that has a very long sales cycle, uh, obviously their ROI is going to be longer than somebody that's very transactional and is trying to you know get things happening and rolling with several transactions. So that that key element, the key measurement you're looking at is what are your number of tra average transactions per year? Um, and looking at, you know, if this is a single transaction once a year, then obviously the return is going to be a little bit longer as opposed to I have two transactions a week, then you're going to see uh, the uptake a little bit better. So what I would say is that, you know, based on your channel strategy, uh, your ROI for a, a partner program is likely going to be uh, one to uh, one and a half sales cycles. So if your average sales cycle is 90 days, I would start to look for ROI at the four to five month mark. If I have an 18 month sales cycle, then it could be significantly longer, maybe a year or two uh, or longer before you would see a significant ROI. Yeah, Man, great insights and uh, definitely in line with, with what we see from, from our clients. Paul, I can't thank you enough. Thank you for well, your thank time. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for uh, for sharing the insights, and uh, we'll be uh, we'll be looking forward to watching you at Magentrix and seeing all the awesome stuff you guys continue to to achieve. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Mark. Uh, always a pleasure talking to you. And uh, uh, again, I appreciate the, the the chance to talk to your listeners and share a little bit more about uh, PRMs in general as well as Magentrix. Thanks, sir. Partnernomics podcast is brought to you by Partnernomics. Learn how to leverage the power of partnership. To listen to more episodes of Partnernomics Podcast, visit Partnernomics.com.